five, four, three, two, one. Boys and girls, welcome to the Carnage House Productions Bushfire Special. That's what we're going to call it. Today I've got with me Alexis Bush, who's just come back from a few months of firefighting. He's a real Australian firefighter. Uh, how are you going? Yeah, good, mate. Not a few months back to back, but since November, a couple of days in each month. Yeah. yeah. So you're a volunteer firefighter with the Rural Fire Service, but the other interesting part is that you run the social enterprise Back to the Bush, uh, kind of in your spare time, which you've been doing for several years. Give a quick plug if you can see that on the uh, on the shirt. We'll put the link to that in the description, but that's actually just getting like Australians kind of out of the cities back into the bush you run you, you can give the introduction better but basically you've had a bunch of experience actually in the bush and you've seen the kind of you've seen the bush before the fires which is interesting because we're going to talk about the causes of the fires how it happened like what you saw as a firefighter but you're also able to offer that perspective of like how the bush has been managed like in the off season um but the first thing i want to ask you about is What's your kind of experience been like in the past few months? Like, were you a firefighter before this bushfire season or is this your first time? Or, and, and how is this season in particular? So I've been in the rural fire service for seven years, six, seven years. This was my first rural campaign fire. Campaign fire means basically big bloody fire over weeks or months and we go into sort of campaign mode where um, every brigade has its shifts and its commitments. So a brigade will spit out two shifts uh, a day, two 12-hour shifts covering 24-hour period, and it'll all be on rotation. Every single brigade will be um, swapping over crews, and each crew will be deployed different parts of the district that which in which that brigade operates, uh, or sometimes they're just deployed outside of the district. Um, we've got people in my brigade that have gone up to the north um mid north coast fires um far north coast fires back and in your september is where in the blue mountains in the blue mountains yeah so we're in the blue mountains district and we happen to have uh it's fortunate that i'm part of the blue mountains district because we've got australia's most experienced firefighters in the blue mountains right is that just a coincidence or is that because there are fires that tend to happen there because the blue Mountains is such a uh, rugged volatile and remote region um, and it also has a very large population of people living um, yeah. and surrounded by such massive wilderness areas. So uh, it's always been impacted. It's always it's always had the threat of fire on its doorstep. And you've with every fire, every, you know everyone's experience goes through the roof. You know, five years of training versus one month of intense firefighting, you're going to get obviously a lot more experience out of you know one month of firefighting over five years of training. And so a lot of these people, um, a lot of the old timers now, um, you know, the past generation, they've had multiple um, very severe and dangerous fires, mm. um, fire seasons, and um, they're some of the most experienced in Australia. Mm. So on like face value, um, we see that these fires, um, a lot of people use the word unprecedented. Um, the the statistics I checked today was that so far uh, this bushfire season has burnt 10 million hectares of land, killed 28 people, and destroyed almost 2,000 homes nationwide. 
Um, what's the scale of like this fire season compared to other fire seasons? Uh, and then we can try and find out why you think that is. But is is this? Have we seen fires like this before? Is this the first time we've had like a big bushfire season? Um, it's definitely the most widely publicised, at least since I've been, you know, able to watch the, the news. But what do you think? This natural disaster is the most politicised natural disaster, I think, in Australian history. I can't think of any other natural disaster where it's been so heavily politicised. Um, Australians go into... They, they click into this humanitarian mateship mode as soon as there's a natural disaster and they have with this natural disaster but what this natural disaster also had was with it uh, conspiracies um, alarmism it's a political attack culture culture war a massive culture war has come with this uh, with this with this natural disaster um, and we've still had the mateship we've still had the community spirit in Australians, but unfortunately it's been overshadowed by politicisation of, of, of the natural disaster. Um, it's all about climate change, of course. But going back to your original question, the word unprecedented, and I'll probably go back a bit. Back a bit. The last I read, it was 5.8 million hectares. Has that jumped up to 10 now, has it? This is from, uh, a, as we talked about before, a Guardian, Guardian article, which is part <laughs> to the top of the Google uh, searches, but what do you? Well, so let's say I'll it's, have to fact check the ten million. But look, it is it's a lot. It, it's it's a lot. Um, let's say let's say it's ten million, right? Um, unprecedented for this generation and maybe the previous generation. Not unprecedented for the millions of years Australia's been around. Unprecedented for me because this is my first fire season where it's been quite active. It's been quite intense. Um, unprecedented for someone maybe 20 or 30 years in the rural fire brigade who hasn't seen or attended to a, a large campaign fire the conditions yes they generationally it could be unprecedented millennium drought when was the last time we had that right we um you know we've seen a drought now where the tap's just been turned off normally with droughts you'll get half your annual rainfall two-thirds of your annual rainfall and we'd call it a drought this drought taps just turned off so the bush has really dried up um but you know we've seen in history if you think logically if you open your mind up and you want to have a look at history we've had far worse bushfires than this and i'm talking about in the last 50 years before that even worse and we don't know what's happened um in the sixty thousand years the aborigines have been here well actually we do know what's happened the entire country's burnt down 10 times over. You know, back before colonisation, you'd have a bushfire light up and it will burn to the ocean or it'd be put out by the rain. And if you had a prolonged period of time with no rain, that bushfire would have burnt anything and everything in its path. Today, we've got people in its path, we've got homes, we've got towns, villages, um, we've put ourselves in danger. Uh, we, you know, we, we've put ourselves in harm's way uh, with Mother Nature, with the, the normal cycle of Australia, and that is 
it burns to the it burns to the ocean or it burns until the rain comes and unfortunately uh, the rain just didn't come quick enough uh, in in this season in, in the last two or three months it's now come so hopefully mm, some um, came today I think it said yeah. like 50 mils I mm, think there should be between 50 to 150 mils it said 50 mils yeah I think already today has fallen mm. um, and I'll, I'll sorry yeah finish your point we've also the premier said I think today or yesterday Gladys. Um, that Gladys of course um, that we we are incredibly lucky because we could have lost hundreds of people. And she thanks the RFS. Thank you for that. Um, and also all the everything, uh, everything that came together to ensure people's safety. Now, I'm sorry to have to say this, but we've had, and it's very sad to have to use this to try and justify unprecedented or the worst bushfires we've ever had. By far, of, of areas burnt, it's one of the bu- worst bushfires we've had. Unprecedented, sure, let's call it that. We've had more area burnt in the last... We've had bushfires in the in the 60s, 70s and 80s where it's burnt more area, area of bush averaged over the last six or seven years that we've had with minimal fire activity. Um, significantly more, we're talking about tens of millions of hectares. And this one... At the moment, I think it's about 6 million hectares. Guardians are in 10 million, so be it. But um, we've had hundreds of people perish. Black Friday, uh, Ash Friday, Ash Friday or Ash Saturday, those bushfires. Hundreds of people have perished with those bushfires. Um, even before that, if we go back, you know, look back in the last 80 to 100 years, we've had hundreds and hundreds of deaths to bushfires. In the last 10 years, we've you know we've had nothing compared to what we've had in the past and of course there's going to be people that have come out and refute that but it's already evidence the the, the history is documented we've seen it um so yeah unprecedented yeah i'll call it unprecedented i might not see it again um because i think the way we manage our bush is going to change after this mm. And there's well, going to be nothing to burn for the next 10 years. Well, now I think we're going to get to the kind of nuts and bolts of, of the conversation. Is So we've seen like a very serious bushfire. And then, as you mentioned before, the bushfire coverage or debate has become like a proxy for the culture war. We have on one side people saying it's a result of, uh, or at least the intensity, the longevity of the fires um, is a result of increase in temperature and climate change. Um, and the other side is saying uh, bushfires are kind of a natural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. They might be a bit worse some years than other years. Um, they mention the arsonists. They mention particularly the lack of what you call it, bushfire prevention strategies, controlled burnings, things like that, which haven't been able to pass through, like, uh, or, or which haven't been done because of people call like the green agenda and people on the other side come back and say the greens haven't even been in power how, how do they have any influence over this stuff and it's kind of a messy bog and i can understand if some of the viewers have been waiting for carnage house to come and break the fake news and so i've brought in the, the expert to tell us um everyone's an expert these days everyone is an expert these days um most notably ourselves um well, you, you're an expert. I'm happy, very happy to say you're an expert here. What do you think the, um, 
in, how do you see that kind of debate in terms of what are the real causes? Um, you mentioned the drought as well, which doesn't seem to be getting talked about a lot, but it's which ridiculous. would make a lot of sense mm. as to be why things are so flammable as if there's no moisture around. Well, um, first and foremost, I, and this is part of the culture war, as soon as the left hijacks something, it turns into a culture war. It turns into a nasty... Uh, I get... I am not a climate change denialist, yet I get called a climate change denialist because my point of view is a little different to the point of view of the alarmists. Mm. Of course there's climate change. Um, of course climate change is a factor um, in the intensity of our bushfires, the length of our season. Of course climate change is a factor in whether we suddenly start producing tornadoes out of thunderstorms or not in Australia, which is almost unheard of. Did that happen? No, no. We do, we do get tornadoes, but if it's startling, we start getting tornadoes coming out of every thunderstorm, we go, oh, maybe climate change has got something to do with right. that. But there are so many other factors that have contributed to the intensity of these bushfires, the length of our fires, uh, length of our fire seasons. And climate change, if I say it only makes a small part, is a small part of that, I get called climate change denier. Or if I say, I don't think the science on man-induced climate change is final, I get called a climate change denier. The whole 97% consensus always gets thrown around the place. Sure. We can have this debate. I think that debate can go for a long time. But interesting, do you think... You think so the fire season is getting longer? Is that, is that people just believe that to be true? Look, the media, the experts, or the media hear from the experts, let mm. them pick and choose what they want to hear and obviously publish... We're told that the fire seasons are getting longer. Right. I am not. I'm not informed enough to take a position on that. Mm. Okay. Well, let's get back to let's get back to the first discussion. So, you think climate change might be a factor, and if it is a factor, it's like not the impact that is being portrayed to be. Right, what are the what are the what are the kind of real drivers of these these fires that make it particularly bad this year? Okay, so one thing that the alarmists and the media, particularly the Guardian, seem to continuously not mention is the drought. So they go fires linked to climate change. Climate change is for good, vice versa. There's something in the middle, and that middle thing is the drought. So if they went at least Bushfires caused by the drought, drought might be caused or is caused, whatever they want, by climate change. That there I can start to sort of, um, you know, I can go, okay, fine, fair enough, that's your opinion. It's, I think it's a logical progression. progression of your opinion. But going just straight from bushfires to climate change is absurd. We've had the chief scientist in Australia, Professor Andy Pittman, say that there is no link between the, the drought 
and climate change even. I think I saw a headline that said that he then got smashed. He then got bullied. He had to that to he say got no bullied. direct link. That's right. Say no That's right. Link. He got bullied. He got heckled by the left. They, they got him in a ring and said, we heard what you said. And he said, oh, no, no, I, what I meant to say was there was no direct link. But he's actually got a paper published where he also says it. There is yeah. no link between the drought and climate and climate change. Right. So he said it verbally, but he's also got it published. Yeah. Um, so this is the problem, and this is where, again, we'll go into the climate change argument, is where a lot of independent scientists, uh, they, you can't be independent anymore in science. You have to join the climate change bandwagon, or you get you get uh, labelled as a deserter and as a um, as a conspiracy theorist. You still got your PhDs and everything. You're saying no, I don't agree with the climate change mob who are alarmists. We've got to be sensible here. But then they get bullied. There are professors, and you'd be surprised to hear this. I was actually quite surprised to hear yeah, this there's too. A couple of guys in Queen. There's a guy in Queensland. I think that got fired, right? About the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah. But there's actually professors and climate climatologists and people of other sciences, I consider people of other sciences much higher standing than climatologists because climatologists are glorified meteorologists. They just want to have their place. No, that's right. A physicist, a doctor in physics, a professor in physics is heckled and, 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 um, and embarrassed by climatologists because he says, I don't agree with their science. There's so many. This guy... Physics is is also full of a lot of theories, but there's a lot of things in physics that's been proven. We know the speed of light. We know if your car drives 100 meters and takes a certain amount of time, it's traveling at that many kilometers. And that's the very basic fundamentals of physics. But physics, I think, is a, is a remarkable and very interesting science. And it's got a far more complexity to it. And um, anyway, I'm not going to go into that detail, but what I'm trying to get is... is if you're against the mob, you're their enemy. And what I was going to say before is you'd be surprised to hear that many scientists with PhDs and, and you know wealth of knowledge and tons of peer-reviewed journal articles on their, either on their science or on climatology have received death threats for not speaking against climate change climate. Uh, climate change science it's really not a name for it but i'll call it that for simplicity's sake but they're critical of the alarmism around it and their structure logical arguments for why they think that you know you know maybe what humans producing is not having such a major effect as what you've you know what 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 the climate you know climatologists say then you've got to remember the left have hijacked it. So, of course, they're going to get death threats for being against the climate mob. I thought, I read that the other day, and I thought, wow. I mean, we've, we've seen it everywhere else, right, where people of a different view to what the left have hijacked have a different opinion. They get death threats. Um, but now it's gone, now it's in science. Science is community in science where it's like, well, no, we don't really agree with your hypothesis. Um, they get death threats. Mm. So it's a culture war. Mm. It is. Um, so you meant, so we got climate change, we have the drought. You think the drought is like number one cause of 
the intensity of this bushfires. Of course. Shout out to number one. What we've had over the last seven years is optimal growth in our bush. We've had humid, wet summers, humid and wet winters. Right, growth for plants and stuff. Yeah. Our bush has been thriving for the last six or seven years. I remember when I first joined the RFS, the old timers in the in the RFS were going on about how the regrowth is very thick. And if we hit a dry period or a drought, we're in a lot of trouble. This was back in 2013 and 14 and 15. We already knew that. We could already see with the way the bush was thriving what was potentially going to happen should we hit the next drought. Mm. There's no climate change being thrown around. It was just observations. We were on the ground. I've been in the bush for 10 years. I've been driving around the bush for 10 years almost every weekend, and then I take probably a month or two either side of that to go and explore the bush and the outback. I work for an agricultural company. I've got farmers that are very have, their, have got their own opinions on what fuel loads are and how they should be managed, and I've heard it from them. I've heard it from other farmers outside of my, my, my workplace. Um, I've heard it out in the bush, in the high country especially. Um, and we've known this for a while. And the bush just hasn't been managed like it used to be managed by the Aboriginals. Or naturally, you know, you'd get a lightning strike and that might burn the entire eastern half of Australia down. But that would have cleared out all the crap underneath the canopy of the trees. Low intensity, low to medium intensity fire. You might have got some spikes of high intensity fire depending on what the weather did, but you'd had this burn that'll just consume all of Australia, consume all the forested or, or, or um, dense um, vegetated areas of Australia. And then you'd have a period of no fires. And then the cycle just started again with the droughts, with the rains. Mm. Australia is a land of droughts and flooding rains. Mm-hmm. And so are its bushfires, a cycle within that cycle. Um, so let's talk about, let's talk about like the bushfire management, right? Because on your Facebook, you even shared an article from Miranda Devine from 2009, where there was a bushfire uh, that happened then. And there was the Ash Friday or something where, the, yeah. where nearly 200 people died. Yeah, mm. and they were talking about, she was talking about um, the kind of lack of bushfire management and kind of accusing a green agenda of preventing like controlled burns. Is what do you say is like hazard reduction? Is that hazard what you reduction call it? burns? Right, hazard reduction mm. burns. Um, that's what if you read like if I think if you watch like Sky News, you'll you'll see them saying, well, it's really about you know the lack of hazard reduction burns and there's so much fuel on the ground. This is why the fires are so big and so hard to manage. Um, What's your experience been? With? First, well, firstly, you can't listen to Sky News because Sky News is full of white, angry, misogynist, racist um, people yeah. that are paid by uh, the Murdoch press. I think Murdoch and Sky yeah, News, think, right? Yeah. yeah, you can't listen to them. They're not on a factual source of information. I'm obviously saying, <laughs> telling porkies there. Um, yeah, Sky News has got the real news. Yeah. <laughs> They're... Uh, uh, they're my choice of news, obviously, uh, and obviously yours, right? Well, if I can't, I don't have Foxtel in my, in my place here. What do you mean? It's on. It's I think Channel Nine's got it's got Sky News now. It's oh, on really? normal TV. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, that's something new every day. No. Um. So, 
Look, Miranda Devine, when she did that article for the Sydney Morning Herald, I was surprised the Sydney Morning Herald even published it. Well, you did say in that article when it was still real journalism. It was real journalism back then. It was real. It was What's their slogan? Independent always. Oh, yeah, it was independent. A, just a big gun. Probably here. back then, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah look. This is where, this is where the the lefties go crazy every time I say the word green agenda. They said, "Oh, the Greens have never been in power. What are you talking about?" No, no, I'm not talking about the Greens Party. I'm talking about green policy. We've got a conservative government in power now that has got green policy and bureaucracy embedded into its legislation, put in by previous governments, Labor government previously. Maybe a government had a little bit too many Greens members on, on the floor of Parliament, you know, right. I don't know how many years ago. So you're saying, like, through, through like, other governments or through, like, the relative power of the Greens Party in particular, like, sometimes they can sometimes trade their the, votes for, like, promises and, like, environmental legislation course, and stuff that, like there's that. that. And that's how the legislation got through. But sometimes it's got nothing to do with the Greens Party. You've got activist groups, green activist groups. Right. You've got misinformed misinformed public on certain issues, on, on the issues of hazard reduction, right? Um, it's got nothing to do with the Greens half the time. Bob Carr locked all of our national parks, um, and now these national parks are tinderboxes. And so the next tinderbox will probably be in about 10 years' time when the regrowth comebacks even denser. So if in 10 years, if nothing's done with our national parks, it's not climate change that's going to cause even worse fires than what we've had now. It's going to be these extremely dense tinderboxes come the next drought. Because we're going to have optimal growing conditions when this drought is over. And we're going to get density in these forests many times more than what we've had now because the trees have been destroyed. Light's penetrating now down onto the ground and you can have dense regrowth coming up. Uh, and I've said this um, I've said this for many years in the high country. Now we've seen the high country burn now. But anyway, green policy starts from camp, can, can, from, can start from the councils right up to state level. So state level is like something like locking national parks up. Uh, local government level is fire breaks on private property. What you can or can't cut down. Paperwork, fees involved with getting permission to make a fire break on your property. These kind of green policies. There are homes in the south coast that are still waiting for fines to come in their mail from because they bulldozed down a fire break on their property. What's a fire break? A fire break is where you've got trees, shrubs, a tinderbox, and you put a bulldozer through it to create a line, a mineral, a line of mineral earth, to basically stop or slow down the progression of fire coming towards the property. Right. And ironically, and I heard this, people calling up in TGB and saying, "I'm, I'm about to get a fine because I put a fire break on my property." My neighbour's properties have burnt down. I've saved my property through that fire break, but I'm still waiting for the fine. Yeah. So these are the green policies. And then many people um, that I know in the agricultural industry will go, well, we've got paperwork this high with the council. We need to tag all our trees. We then need to pay an agronomist to come and have a look at each tree, tell us whether we can bulldoze or cut down that tree or not. Uh, and then there's more paperwork after that, more paperwork after that, and then we're given a little bit of a green light to maybe do a quarter of what we propose to do in the, in, in, in the first instance because the regrowth trees are above a certain 
height now and they're a certain age now and yeah we can't touch them anymore yeah so it, the bureaucracy is is ridiculous and and then if we go to state level or national parks have been locked up in new south wales now for almost 50 or 60 years and they're just they're just tinder boxes fire trails aren't maintained and not managed um and you've got the public that are locked out to these um, national parks. The graziers are no longer to graze their cat allowed to graze their cattle up in the high country anymore. Um, you know, basically, national parks and wildlife service is there to manage the park, not to lock it up and own it for themselves. And I've been now saying for ten years. Well, not quite 10 years, because the first three years I was observing. So seven years. If we don't take control of the fuel loads in our national parks, we're going to lose all the sensitive ecosystems that national parks like to parade mm. through with a bushfire. Well, this is, this is one of the interesting points, is that a lot of my, like this bushfire season is getting like, super international coverage like everywhere so like when I was living in China a little tangent uh, made a lot of international friends right they're all living in China and now I see all their posts about the Australian bushfires like donate to the Australian bushfires all these animals are dying like we need to help them but it seems like the animals are dying like the the all the amount of animals that are dying is because there was not the preventative burns that happened in the first place and the reason those burns didn't happen in the first place is because they were worried about animals dying in the controlled burns. So now you have the everything's just burning and all the animals are getting burnt. And so it seems like um, the heart's in the right place, but it's created exactly the opposite effect of, of what it's intended to do. Uh, just for the record, I'm not speaking on behalf of the RFS. I'm speaking on behalf of Back to the Bush. This is Back to the Bush speaking. Mm-hmm. So I can probably see someone wants to cause a bit of trouble and go, oh, he's an RFS volunteer. Look what he's saying on behalf of the RFS. I've just said nothing mm. wrong anyway. But I'm just, mm. just for the record, just in case you get one of those little weasels that want to cause trouble for me. But the commissioner said when he was asked a question, ironically, on the ABC, and on the ABC you've got to be tamed, right? Mm-hmm. You're under control. You've been watched. Uh, there's a knife behind you when you're being interviewed by the ABC. Um, they asked him about why hazard reduction burns aren't being conducted. And the ABC have got a spin on it. It's all about climate change as well. Oh, the reason why we can't do hazard reduction burns because of climate change, the window of opportunity has narrowed. Everything has the reason because of climate change. We say, no, it's the fuel loads. We're not doing the hazard reduction burns. Bush isn't being managed. Oh, yeah, you can't do that because of climate change. You know, God, if we start having earthquakes, it's because of climate change. Anyway, so the commissioner has said something which I was... um, I've had someone... I think I participated in a hazard reduction burn in 2018. And I'll give you an example of how well hazard reductions do work. And there's some fake news around the place or no, I can say fake news, but exaggerated news where they say the, the fires have gone through hazard reductions. This is an unprecedented fire season because of climate change. It's even gone through burnt um, hazard reduced 
burnt ground. And I'll come back to that in a second. But I was participating in the HR and the commissioner said to the ABC, the RFS has been public enemy number one when it comes to HRs, hazard reductions. Because you get people in Sydney, when you do the hazard reductions around the Blue Mountains, especially around surrounding Sydney, Sydney Basin, that smoke comes in and sinks into Sydney. And you get the health board, you get the residents, local residents where the HR's been conducted, uh, you get the residents of Sydney, everyone complains and points the fingers at RFS and basically hates RFS for a little period of time because we're creating all this smoke. It's literally happened. I've had people say to me, I go, why could you not pick a better time to do a hazard reduction? We're choking here. I've had people literally walk up to me and say that to me, that know me, obviously. And what the commission says is right. I think from my experience, I've had people ask me that question. We're public enemy number one. Um, so it makes our job a little, you know, very difficult to be able to conduct these hazard reduction burns. And then you've got other factors. You've got the resourcing issues. Um, now I'm not going to take the lefty avenue of the resourcing issues that, oh, there's no funding or anything. Resourcing is you've planned everyone to come together and do a hazard reduction on this day. But then you get a complaint from the health board. You get a complaint from somewhere else. The weather turns on us. The weather's not as what we predicted. Humidity's too high, too dry, too windy, whatever it might be. Someone's having a bad day. Then you have all these resources just that have ready for that one day, gone to nothing. And you really don't have, you can't really then say to hundreds of these resources, okay, no, let's do it till tomorrow. Tomorrow's a better day. No, you, you completely can it and you wait for another opportunity and start your planning and resourcing again. That is what we call the narrowing of the ability to do the hazard reduction burn. And you'll hear this now, especially now when the fire and the disaster relief and everything's done and dusted and we start having the inquiries, you'll get the left peddling it and saying it's because of climate change. Climate change is very small, again, I'm not, not denying this climate change, climate is having an impact on hazard reduction burns. But it has very small compared to the other more significant um, factors involved. And we've got to remember also that for the past six or seven years, where I said we sort of was around 2013, 2014, you couldn't get the bloody bush to light up. It was too wet. So it was really hard to get a hazard reduction done. And so we had to get into these narrow windows where we could actually get the bush to burn. Um, but it was just a very wet and optimal, it was an optimal period, you know. The, the bush was loving, it was thriving. Now I'll quickly jump back to the whole hazard reduction. Hazard reductions, from what I've seen in the Blue Mountains, have saved the Blue Mountains. There's a hazard reduction that was done in the Jameson Valley in 2018. There's a hazard reduction that was done in 2019, early 2019, um, on the northern side of the Great Western Highway, I think next to Hazelbrook, on the western side of Hazelbrook. Gospers Mountain came up to that hazard reduction. A fire, the Gospers fire. The Gospers fires, yep, and stopped. It hit that 2019 hazard reduction. We, of course, tied it in with a backburn. As soon as there is that 2019 backburn, I mean, a hazard reduction, it stopped dead in its tracks. Right, the so hazard... can you pause one second? What's the difference between a hazard reduction burn and a backburn? A backburn is when we are actively fighting against, uh, when we're fighting against an active fire front, so we light a fire in front of it, or... Fighting fire with fire. Fighting fire with fire. And we basically create um, a buffer between the unburnt land and the fire front that's approaching that unburnt land. 
and sometimes uh, a textbook backburn, the backburn will light it, it'll go it'll roar right in through and go head towards the actual fire front, it'll meet the fire front and it'll self extinguish naturally. All right. It's a remarkable thing. I've seen it. I've seen it done already. Yeah. Yeah. This is a lot of these experiences you get. Yeah. Um, when you've got when you're on a campaign fire. But um, in 2018, there was a hazard reduction burn done in the Jameson Valley, a very touristy area, you know, just below Katoomba. You know the valley when you stand up on top of Katoomba and you have a look at um, the Jameson Valley. You've got Mount Solitary, you've got the Three Sisters, you've got Ruin Castle, yeah. and aptly named the Ruin Castle Fire, which burnt in, in that part. And then it eventually joined up with the Kaumung Fire, which was also the Green Wattle Fire. So all these fires have actually, you know, they've all joined up. Um, in fact, we stopped Gospers and the Green Water Fire joining, which was a great achievement. Um, and hopefully the rain will completely put them out. But the Ruin Castle Fire the went up to the 2018 hazard reduction. It burnt a little bit through it, but with lower intensity. And it, it almost sort of, with the aid, you know, with the help of RFS, it was very easily controlled in there. Very easily mm. died off. And I was told from hearing conversations in the RFS when the 2018 hazard reduction was proposed, community backlash was significant. There's a petition going around or something to stop that hazard reduction from taking place. It's not the Greens party, it's green activism. Green activism misleading local residents and also local residents having natural um skepticism to the, you know not skepticism you know worried about the hr the smoke they're worried about the smoke and then some are worried about the animals Everyone and the ecosystems the yeah all of those but if it wasn't for that hr mm. wentworth falls lura those townships might have been in a bit more trouble than what they were mm. sure but it's funny because all those arguments that they have against it what it seems like hazard reduction burns are actually arguments for the hazard reduction burns because all of those problems get way worse when you don't do them and you get a real bushfire. Yep. That's what it seems like to me. Um, so Victoria hasn't met its um, hazard reduction targets as per their Royal Commission after the, hor- uh, the horrific fires that you know, killed almost 200 people. They're at 50%. So they haven't, they, they, they haven't listened. Yeah. They haven't learned their lesson. Um, and they said, oh, we couldn't do it because of narrowing windows to do these hazard reduction burns. Well, all of these things will come out when we have these inquiries, by whether it be a royal commission or I don't know what it might be. But all of this will come mm. out. Gibson fires. East Gibson. I'm sure you've seen the photo floating around where all you've got the activists. I think so. I would not probably seen it. They're not Greens. There's no one there that's a Greens member. They probably are Greens voters. Some of them might be even Liberal voters. Some of them might be bloody vote for Pauline Hanson and have a different view um, on on hazard reduction. But they protested and petitioned hard against the government. Yeah, I think I did see this photo. In East Gippsland to stop that hazard reduction from taking place. I think it was about 650 hectares. If I'm wrong, someone can fact-check me. Everyone can fact-check me here. I'm open to that. But it's about 650 hectares. What ended up being hazard... Re- the hazard reduction ended up taking place out of the proposed 650 hectares was 
seven hectares, mm. like 10 hectares. And from what I've read, of course, in the real media, and the fake news media have actually not had much to rebut against this apart from, oh, there were issues around uh, resourcing because the concerns were, there were concerns that not, not enough resources would be put to do such a big burn, so the residents were concerned about that. That's all crap, uh, if I can say that. But, yeah, so seven, seven or ten hectares actually ended up being, ended up taking place, the hazard reduction. And what do you have now? We saw it. People died. Entire towns were wiped off the map. Mm. Um, and the green agenda is there, and it's got nothing to do with the Greens Party. Again, I'll repeat that. The green agenda's there. The activism is there. The alarmism is there. The former fire chiefs, all of that, Mullins, um, Tim Flannery, they're all Tim Flannery's babies. All these former fire chiefs. Everyone's got an alarmist opinion. And um, I don't think a New South Wales fire and rescue former fire chief can really say anything about bushfires. Probably talk about house or building fires. I don't know about bushfires. Uh, apparently he was an RFS volunteer as well. He was part of the RFS. But again, they're all... That was later exposed by the real media that they're all mates with Tim Flannery. And Tim Flannery, we, if you know him, he's the biggest <laughs> climate alarmist. But what also was interesting with the East Gippsland bushfires... So let's talk... Oh, yeah, keep talking about the Gippsland fires. Well, I want to talk about what you actually... Like, your experience. The, the green activism there is so disgusting. As the place was burning down, there was a sawmill and you probably would have seen this photo, I don't know, it's, it's, it's going around. A green community organisation or, or, or a Facebook page representing some kind of a green community organisation, it's got a photo of the sawmill, which employs a lot of people in that region, logging, regrowth logging, plantation logging, saying thank God, or along the lines of, we cannot wait for the fire to burn this down. And that sawmill had a lot of pressure from these green groups because they were obviously cutting down. They were, it's an industry, you know? We need timber to build homes, and right? And it's all regrowth too. It's plantation timber. And they're saying, oh, they're cutting down trees in the, in, in the, in the forest. Well, it's a state forest, mm. plantation timber. All the old regrowth forests, unfortunately, have been cut down. And I'm a conservationist. If I was back, go back, you know, 60, 70, 100 years, and I've seen these big, great old, old growth forest trees being just lopped down for timber, I'd be chaining myself around these trees as well, right? But it's all gone. It's all been replanted, and it's a state forest. It's meant to provide us with sustainable timber. So they look at this sawmill and they go, we can't wait for this to burn down. And I think it did burn down. It's wiped off everyone's, you know, hundreds of jobs in, in that region now. So this is the kind of, uh, this is the, this, this, this activism, you know, goes right up to climate alarmism. It's, it's all the same thing. Mm. Okay. So what, when you put up some photos and, you had a kind of like a running commentary through your Facebook or at least updates on, on 
kind of the state of the fires and the fires that you were fighting in particular. What was the one in the Blue Mountains that was there one? In, there was one in particular you talked a lot about. It was called I have it on here somewhere. Called the Gospers Fire, right? Yeah. Is that one? Is that that was the mega fire, which is now six hundred thousand hectares. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, we in the Blue Mountains. So I wasn't deployed too far outside my district while I was in the Blue Mountains, and I was on shifts um, with my brigade. Um, and the Gospers, we participated against Gospers, the uh, Ruin Castle fire, and also the Green Waddle fire. So those are three fires we were dealing with um, in the Blue Mountains. Um, we, yeah, we, we were also involved with the Gospers fire even outside of our district, so Lithgow district and the Hawkesbury district. So when that fire was threatening communities, just on the edge of the Blue Mountains district, we'd actually get out of the Blue Mountains district and, and help there. I remember we went to Lithgow while Lithgow was burning down. Um, and that was Gospers. And, you know, from one end of one district to the other end of another district in the opposite direction, it was still dealing with Gospers. This had such a massive fire edge, thousands of kilometres of fire edge. Um, and we won. We we unfortunately homes have been destroyed because of gospels but largely we, we won because that fire could have completely decimated thousands more homes um, and then the green wattle creek also could have decimated thousands more homes killed killed many people and we won against that as well thanks but you know thank you to the weather but really everything was meticulously planned out chance, organized a lot of it was chance on the weather the chance on the weather but also planning organization yeah. uh, everything uh, you know but everything was sort of like with military precision um precision half the time the way everything you know it's pretty crazy that, that just like the weather change whether it's like the wind or the rain or whatever could have just like meant that fire took up a thousand homes mm. it's yeah. like such a weird thought mm-hmm. it all depends on the wind yeah. All depends on the wind. I didn't. I have a property in Lithgow, and I didn't foresee the fire ever really approaching that property. I was more concerned about the property in Linden, and I was preparing the house in Linden. I was very worried about the property in Linden because the bush behind my property hasn't been burnt down since the seventies. There's been no HR. We've been trying to do hazard reduction burns in that patch of bush, and we've never really. It's never been given approval um, from again different reasons multitude of reasons and i was particularly concerned because the fire got into that 1970s um bush there that, that was that's a tinderbox it's very dangerous um so i was preparing the linden but then i bloody saw gospers heading t- towards um lithgow and the the prevailing winds were not blowing it south but it was coming south so sometimes even the winds were just unpredictable it was crazy and uh you know it was Lucky that we ended up being deployed to Lithgow as that fire came down onto the town and it already burned down a couple of homes and um, we replaced a very exhausted, um, my brigade, we replaced our uh, members on that were been there since the morning and they were extremely exhausted. And we went out to another neighbourhood where the fire was coming down to it and thankfully the conditions helped us a lot and that neighbourhood happened to have my home there, which is, my God, I was there. Um, but also, thank God, that the conditions uh, improved significantly. So, 
yeah, it's been bizarre. It's been it's been mm. exciting. Mm. It's been all over the place. It's been sad. It's been happy. It's been it's been a whole heap of different experiences into mm. one. Yeah. So what happens when you got a fire coming towards a town, let's say, that you're supposed to protect? Or how do you how are you supposed to stop a fire? What do you actually do? Because you know, when it's a house fire, presumably you put a hose on it, but what happens when it's a bushfire? Back burning. But back burning as well, we can't just put a back burn in any time. The conditions have to be right for the back burn. Um, you know, we've lost back burns this season. And what does that mean? We lost, so we'd, we'd do a back burn and then the wind would do something else completely against what we were, you know what we thought you know we the fire activity you know from the wind and everything it just go in opposite direction you know we'll do a backburn on this side of the road to go that way but then it'll just jump over and just go that way and right. endanger communities or homes or the bush in that direction you know or we'd light a, a backburn and and think that you know it'll just go through calmly you know it'll, it'll burn in but you just get a whiff of wind and it'll just blow it in another direction and you know so Backburn was lost in against the um, against the Gospers fire, um, and I think a couple more backburns were lost. Um, some some had some backburns created d- destroyed, unfortunately, um, people's homes, and some backburns luckily were contained pretty quickly as well. Um, but yeah, backburns if the conditions are right. Uh, otherwise, really, it's it's up to the water bombers. If the water bombers can get to the fire, can can help. Um, the cover, yeah, and the plane. If they can dump water on What's homes, the red thing. Is it water? The fire retardant. So is that what is is that the main thing that the planes drop? Fire retardant. Fire retardant. Yeah. So what what that kind of brings us to to talking about the Marie Bashir and the DC and yeah, a couple of those. Big what do we ones. actually? What what do you need? What what needs to happen? Because you see like a lot of fundraising <laughs> initiatives going around, which are really good, like bushfire appeals. I assume that money's going to people who have, like, lost their homes or, like, rebuilding, uh, trying to rebuild their lives, going to, like, um, fund, like, accommodation and food and, and basics for them. Um, but in terms of, like, policy, you'd pro- I assume you'd want, like, uh, give more freedom to, like, hazard reduction and, and stuff like that. But what, 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 needs, what are the lessons that you think, like, need to be learned from this bushfire season? You're gonna hear it, and you're gonna hear from everyone on the ground, living near the bush. You can hear it from the farmers. You're not gonna hear it from people sitting, from experts sitting in comfortable offices with their PhDs and their paperwork and I don't know their their qualifications by their side. You're gonna hear two different things. You can hear the experts saying, "Oh no, yeah, we can't really." You know, as I've already had this conversation, we can't really do as many hazard reductions as we'd like because of this, 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 this. People on the ground are like, no, these fires were this intense because these bush, the, the mismanagement of the bush, it's been allowed to grow into a tinderbox. It's endangered our lives and our properties. Um, and the farmers, the farmers for generations have learned how to manage the land. Aborigines have learned for generations how to manage the land. They all have a voice that needs to be heard. And unfortunately, the expert's voice is what trumps over them. But I think if we have an inquiry, hopefully we learn from the people on the ground and not from people sitting in an office 
mm. with their PhDs claiming they know everything because they don't. Mm. So there was there have been talks floating around about a royal commission into the bushfire crisis. You'd sign your name up to that. You'd support that. Uh, look, royal commission, uh, an inquiry, really whatever, whatever they, whatever, whatever they want to put in a few mil on it, and they need to listen something. to people on the land. They need to listen to to all these communities that are impacted by the fire. Mm. They need to stop listening to emotional experts, emotional scientists. There are a lot of sensible independent scientists out there that can put their hand up and go, this is what I think. Mm. This is what I think I know based on my research. And then people on the ground say, this is what I saw. This is what I've seen for the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. The high country burnt down in 2003. Two million hectares of the New South Wales and Victorian high country burnt down in 2003 because of green bureaucracy and policy. Again, not Greens Party. I've toured the high country for the last 10 years. Almost nearly every tree out there is dead. It's a skeleton. It's, it, it, it's, it's skeletons everywhere. And I think I've said this to you. I might have mentioned this to you. And I mentioned this to a lot of people I've taken up to the high country. I'm on record for saying this for, very, for many years in the high country. This place is a tinderbox right now thanks to green policy years ago, which allowed the high country to burn so intensely. It's killed everything. The sensitive alpine ecosystems were lost. Trees that were 500 years old, six, 700 years old, were lost. Animals were endangered. Plant species were endangered in the 2003 bushfires. Everything was wiped out. It was nothing. It was an atomic bomb had gone off. And I've said that the regrowth we're getting back now in the high country is even denser than what I saw, because you see the skeletons, from what I saw growing there before 2003. Now, unfortunately, I never got to see the high country before 2003. I would have loved to see the high country before 2003. But I'm very lucky to see the high country in the last 10 years. As, and as I know, well, it's now obviously, it's changed. My kids are probably gonna see the high country in some resemblance to what I saw in the last 10 years. Or might not, so it, it's gonna take nearly 100 years for the high country to recover or any of the bush around, around the place. But I said, this is a tinderbox. And by locking the national park up, you're not helping yourselves. Every time you come up against the lock gate, locked, wilderness area, walkers only, sensitive alpine ecosystems. They don't want cars driving through there. Well, you look at the track, overgrown, leaf litter everywhere, it's barely a fire break. Um, restriction on cattle grazing, keeping the regrowth down, keeping all that junk underneath the trees down to allow cool fire to burn through. I can't, I, I, I can't, in the last 10 years, I don't think a hazard reduction burn has taken anywhere in the high country, especially in New South Wales, in the high plains of New South Wales. I can't think of anything in 10 years after 2003 bushfires with all this regrowth. I can't, I can't think of anything. And if someone even says to you, the high country is burnt down because of the drought, well, the high country has actually been reasonably damp. It's been dry but it's been reasonably damp. The snow that's fallen up in the high country four years in a row has been significantly higher than the 50 year average. There's a lot of moisture up in the high country. Yes, it's part of the wider drought, but to blame the intensity of the bushfires on dryness or the drought, if we're particularly only talking about the high country, everywhere else it's been the drought, but particularly the high country, there's a lot more moisture up there. If we're gonna blame it completely on the drought, that's wrong. There's a lot 
a lot of stuff up there. There's a lot of fuel up there. Tons and tons of fuel per square meter in some places. Probably not per square meter. But you get what I'm saying. Um, that hasn't been managed. And I'm very passionate about the high country, as you know. Back to the bush is almost all about the high country. And, um, and that everyone on the land up there has said, this place has been mismanaged for 50 years. No one's listening to them. And now we've had another atomic bomb land on the high country. Mm. Well, before we finish up, what's the, uh, what's the future of Back to the Bush now that a lot of the high country's been burnt? Yeah, well, I think I'm going to have to rename it to Back to the Ashes. I'm not talking about the cricket. Um, yeah, unfortunately, all the people who were pondering on coming out on, on bush tours with me but kept pushing back, pushing back, I don't have money, I'm not ready to come out bush yet. I'm sorry to say all of them. You're not going to see the bush or the high country the way that I've seen it for the last ten years. You're, it's 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 decimated, and I will be going to the. I will start my inspection of the destruction of the New South Wales High Country on the Australian Day long weekend. There's some certain spots which I can get access to legally that I can actually go and inspect. Um, and I'm also dying to do an inspection of Canangra Boyd National Park, which is my favourite spot outside of Sydney, which has also been decimated by the Cowmung bushfire, a very high-intensity bushfire which has killed, I think, most of the older-growth trees in that, in that national park. So it's back, down, it's back down to zero. So that's what Back to the Bush is going to be doing, is going back to the bush, but... At least for the next couple of months, it'll be uh, inspecting the damage and the destruction and reporting on that. And um, yeah, and there will be a lot of angry faces. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I wish you luck with that. Uh, it's been a good talk. I appreciate you coming on. I think you taught me a lot. I hope you guys learned a bit at home. Let us know what you thought. If there's any fact checking that needs to be done, do it in the comments. Um, I think probably a thank yous in order for going and fighting the bushfires on our behalf. So appreciate that. I, for the record, I haven't done, a, I don't know, a, a tenth or I don't know, a millionth, let's just say, of what some other RFS members have done. Mm. Okay. Well, I've, I've done my very small part and people that should be thanked who I look up to and would love to thank personally are the ones that have been out on the fire ground every single day is there any particular shout-outs? Tony Abbott. Tony Big Abbott's Tony. been out, well, he's out not, a he's lot. He's not employed in, the, uh, in Canberra anymore. He's been out a lot. No, but there's been people that have been out even more than Tony Abbott. There's people up, especially up in the north coast, that have been fighting bushfires hmm. since um, since September. Um, really? Up until now, yeah. And that's what was the whole point of the payments by the government. Um was to help those who'd been out fighting bushfires for months back to back and hadn't mm. had any rest. You know, I've had rest periods. I've been out. I think for, I've been under. I've been out for between November, December, and January. I was out for a grand total of just under twenty days or something. Um, so yeah, I've done. I've done very little compared to a whole heap of other people. Right. Okay. Um, well, I appreciated that. Um, back to the bush I assume that's going to be in um, doing 
less tours over the next few months. But when you're back up and running doing tours, let us know. We'll, I was, you know, myself as included. They're free the, tours, of um, course. Among the people who, who pushed push back the date, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um, so that was a bit of a sad moment for me when you said you're going back to the ashes. Um, but look, when that's back up and running, we'll give it a share on, on our Facebook. Um, I'm pretty sure I'll find some pockets of country that weren't burnt that you can probably see that might resemble you know, what was before. Okay, well, let's, let's hope that. We'll put a link to the description back to the bush so you can follow Alexis and what he does there. Um, you can follow Carnage House on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I think we're on Spotify now. We're in this new platform cool. that distributes everything. SoundCloud. If you really like us, you can donate to us on Patreon. It's little as a dollar a month. Uh, it's good to be back. First podcast of, of 2020. New year, new me, new Carnage House. Um, and look forward to doing more. So if you like the video, make sure to like the video, subscribe, let us know what you thought, and we will see you next time.